We are continuing our study, the book of Acts. Uh, we are actually going to be taking a break from the book of Acts uh, after this week, but we've taken two weeks. Uh, we took a break during Christmas and a little bit after Christmas, but we have been uh, studying. We, we go through books of the Bible. We preach books of the Bible, and we are working through uh, the book of Acts. And uh, I began in uh, chapter 8, so if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, that is where we're going to be this morning. We were there last Sunday. We were introduced, if you will, to Philip. Philip, we were introduced in Acts chapter 6 very, very briefly. Uh, but we have a chapter in the Bible that speaks of uh, Philip's ministry uh, in the book of Acts. And we are going to look at the second portion of this uh, scripture this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, the book of Acts, the 8th chapter, we are going to begin in the 26th verse. Acts chapter 8. It is good to hear some pages turning. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over to him and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May God truly give us understanding of this, his word. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, in just these few moments, would you quicken our hearts? Would you impress upon our hearts and our minds, grant understanding by your spirit to what it is your word is saying to us today? And Lord, would you bring change? Would you so work in our hearts? We would live differently in light of your word spoken this morning. Empower by your spirit, accomplish all your good purposes in and through us, Lord, and we will be quick to give you all the th thanks, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we 
uh, began, and last week I kind of ended on uh, three points. And, and those three points where I believe this uh, text in Acts chapter 8 calls us to go. It's an extension of the Great Commission. Philip is going, and I believe God's church is called to go. And I leaned in last week on that we are to go to unlikely places. And we are to go and be among unlikely people, and we are to go and do unlikely things. And this morning, I want to lean in on that unlikely thing. We as a church have been called to go and do, if you will, an unlikely thing. And I spoke to it last week, but this text just unpacks what that is. This morning, I want to speak about personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. The church of God, the people of God, going to unbelieving people and telling them of the grace and the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. Personal evangelism. Now, when I say that, let me say this. For many of us in this room, for some of us, I would probably say for many of us as we hear that, we immediately begin to think of ways we have not been faithful in this regard. Immediately to our minds, we think, well, this is a real weakness for me. This is a real struggle that I have. And we can bring up a thing on personal evangelism. Now, I just start to feel bad about myself. I want you just to stop. All right? I want you to sort of stop for a moment. I want you just to, to own that. I've been dealing with this for weeks. The man that stands you before you has all that stuff going on in his heart and his soul and his mind as well. Can we just pause and stop and own that? And maybe just a quiet prayer before the Lord, help me. And, and I want you to know grace abounds in this place. Grace abounds to sinners, believing sinners who still fall short of God's will for their lives. I believe we just need to kind of own it, and we need to just kind of, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at, and I want you to hear what God might be saying to you as we move forward. And I would probably encourage you with this world, God saves. We save no one, but, but salvation is of the Lord. I read from 1 Peter this morning, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's all his mercy. It's all God's doing. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God saves. We will never save anyone. So just pause and own it. This hasn't been a strength in my life. And remember that God saves. I would also want to say this this morning, that the greatest thing that is ever happening in the world at any moment is God bringing ruined sinners to salvation through the gospel. At any given moment in our world, on the planet, the greatest thing that is going on is that God is redeeming for himself broken, broken people from sin and he's, he's, he's transferring people from the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is redemption, there is forgiveness of sins. That is the very best thing that is going on at all times in the world. And that happens through God's word being spoken by God's people. So the greatest thing that's happening in the world, our God has called us to participate in that very thing with us. Jeff, I got the most boring, most mundane life on the planet. 
Are you a child of God? Or are, are you caught up in God's great redeeming purposes for the world? This is what we know to be true. In his great benevolence, he commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. God shares this amazing, glorious, triumphant work with his children. And I want to tell you this morning on the authority of the word of God and through personal experience, there is nothing more joyous, there is nothing more exhilarating, there is nothing more amazing than being just a small part of what God Almighty is doing in the world. No playoff basketball game. No matter how good the finish, no Phillies, ninth, bottom of the ninth, walk off home run. No vacation in Ocean City, no concert that we go to. Nothing is more joy-producing, more exhilarating, and more lasting than being used by God to proclaim his story to another human being and God accomplishing his great kingdom work throughout the world. Nothing. And for our good and for our joy, our God calls us to be a part of it. Brothers and sisters, own it. You don't have it all together. Brothers and sisters, know it's God who saves. And brothers and sisters, know there is no greater blessing. There is no greater joy on the planet than be a part of what God is doing throughout the world. So I want to say four things this morning from the text. That was just to kind of prepare us. Four things. They're all brief. I'm going to march through them. Four things I want us to consider from this, this text. We're going to talk about personal evangelism. I want us to consider spiritual calling. I want us to see that in the text. I want us to consider spiritual encounters. I want us to consider spiritual message. And I want us to cons consider a spiritual response. So there's a spiritual calling. There's a spiritual encounter. There's a spiritual message. And there's a spiritual response. And we see that in the text. I use the word spiritual because this is all of God. God is orchestrating all of this from beginning to end, from before beginning till after end. God is orchestrating all of it, so it's all spiritual. Let's begin with spiritual calling. Return with me to the text. The very beginning of the text says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went Spiritual calling. An angel appeared to Philip and told him to go to a specific place with kind of a specific task. I would call that a spiritual calling. Philip was doing something somewhere. An angel appears to him. He stops doing that, and he goes and does something completely different. Spiritual calling. As for the Ethiopian, we, we read that he's a high-ranking official in the court of the king and queen of Ethiopia. I can't get into all that this morning. But this guy seems to be a God follower. He's traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God. And somehow, miracle of miracles, I don't know how this happens, he has procured for himself a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He went to the Jerusalem and worshiped God. He's on his way home from Jerusalem from worshiping God. And this man is reading the scroll of Isaiah in his chariot. And I just want to say, when people seem to be reading the Bible, and as we see with this guy, he's starting to ask questions of the Bible, it seems like God is at work. So he's working in Philip, and he's working in this eunuch 
to accomplish a great glorious end, not just for these two, that this we're going to see uh, beyond these two. The Spirit prompts Philip, go over and join his chariot. So he runs next to a moving chariot. There's a chariot that's moving, and I can just kind of see Philip jogging alongside of this moving chariot. And, and, he, and, he, and he asks him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come and sit with him in his chariot. Now, I just need to kind of say a few things as I go. A lot of things I want to say about that. But there's, there's a few things that I, I would probably want to, uh, for us to at least to kind of begin here. Philip is, is it, we, we, in Acts chapter 6, he's a, he's a deacon in the church, and he's, and he's waiting on the widows and the, and the others he's being used. He's got this faithful ministry going on in Samaria that I talked about last week. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people in Samaria have come to Jesus through Philip's ministry. Now, we don't know if this is a direct correlation. What I read today was coming right off there. But he seems to have a thriving ministry going on in Samaria. And, and an angel says to him, leave this and go to a desert road where there's few people on it. Now that has to seem strange to Philip. And it seems strange to me. Why would you call someone from a thriving ministry and have him go to some deserted desert road for one dude who's heading out of town? But that's what we have here. And what I'd want us to see here is, is, is sometimes God's callings cause our lives to look different, our priorities and our decisions to look different. It doesn't make earthly sense. That's the word I have this morning. My life can make a lot of earthly sense, and it's really not helping anybody. And this, this calling doesn't make earthly sense but God's up to something really, really big. And, and I just wonder sometimes, are our lives so predictable? Do we live lives that look just like everybody else's lives around us? Or are we, like Philip, open to where God might have us to go, to say what God would have us to say, to do what God would have us to do? Or are we just too busy in our worlds doing our own thing? And I want to encourage us this morning. Could we crack the door to that? own that this morning and crack the door and said, Lord, I haven't been listening. Lord, my heart has been a little bit self-aware. My, my mind has been, Lord, open me up more and more to what you might be calling me to do. It didn't make much earthly sense. Now, I'd also say here is this word divine appointments. It's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical word. We talk about divine appointments. This seems like a divine appointment. If there ever was a divine appointment, this seems like one. Everything's happening. Angel Pete speaking to Philip. Everything is set up for this thing to kind of go. And, 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 and I just want us to say, they're all divine appointments. Maybe we don't like the world. Sometimes people would say divine appointment. They'd say some things. I'd get a little kind of, eh, that sounds a little funny to me. Um, so I, I, I get a little rough with divine appointments, but they all are. And I just want us for a moment to realize, J Jesus says in John 6, 4, no one can come to the Father to me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one's coming to God unless God is working. He's working way before. We just need to realize that. God has been at work here. God is at work. And, and they're all divine appointments. My, mine was very ordinary. It seemed kind of very run-of-the-mill. There's nothing angelic. There's nothing strange. But just in the course of my life, I just got a book. And then I, I started reading the Bible a little bit. And Carol takes me to a concert. And I, I hear a preacher 
He's not even very good. I don't even agree with a lot of stuff the guy says, right? And in the midst of that, I show up to church one Sunday. The same old dude's been barking at me for the last 10 years. I'm just trying to get through the service. Bam. He speaks. Anyone who's Christ, a new creature, the old is gone, the whole new come. I was a new creature. That moment, I was transformed. God's at work. They're all divine appointments. He's quickening us and he's awakening us. And I believe we need to see that and be aware. And oftentimes, it's just the normal mundane activities of day, a, a spiritual calling. Now, let's consider a, a spiritual encounter. All right, and in spiritual encounter. We have this Ethiopian. He seems to be seeking God in, in Judaism. He's reading from the, the scroll of, of Isaiah. And as I said, I've never had this one. I've never come up to somebody and had a person as prepared as this person. See, I never had an angel tell me to go speak, and I've never had a person as prepared as this one. This is one, and I think you alluded to it, Matt might allude to it. This is less like the ultimate softball, right? This, is, this, is, this, this Hudson, this is a 65-mile-an-hour fastball to a major league power hitter right down Broadway. He is going to knock the cover off that ball every time. I'm a basketball fan. This is a layup, all right? So this is one just, nobody's there. If you're worth anything in basketball and no one's around, you should be able to make 99.99% of the time. You better make that layup, all right? It's a six-inch six putt. All right, I'm standing over a little six-incher here. That's all I got left. There's about this much between me and the hole. I got it. That's, that's what this is, all right? That, that's what this, this encounter is. It, it doesn't get any more obvious that God is moving and he's kind of doing that. And what he's using is questions. I found that just kind of interesting in, in the text. All this is moving towards, and it's all being revealed that God's really active. And, and he said, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asks. And the Ethiopian ran response, how can I unless someone guides me? And he, invite, and he invites Philip to come and, and sit with him. And probably what I want to lean on, and this is Stan Bachman, see Stan Bachman after, after the service, is when we think about evangelism, oftentimes think is, is, is well, I got to share all this information. I'm going to give you the message, and it's my next point. But we think of all this stuff we have to say. Oftentimes with evangelism, we're immediately on the defensive. Somebody comes up to us a hard question, well, I don't believe in Christianity because of this. And now all of a sudden, I've got to defend Christianity. And what we see is two people going back, and Philip is asking questions. And oftentimes, Stan made us available. We just did an evangelism class downstairs in the basement. We just finished up a, a few weeks ago. And he brought a book called Questioning Evangelism. Stan, I'm about a third of the way through. I hope to get more than that as we kind of go, but I just got the book this week. It's so good. Jesus was asked a lot of questions. Do you know how Jesus responded to those questions? With questions, all right? And you know what's good for kind of breaking up and tilling the soil of another person's soul? is just to ask them questions. Why do you think Christians believe that? Why would you say that about God and his work in the world? Why is it, well, what is it that you would, would believe? And I'm not, we're trying to be rude. We're not trying, we're just trying to generally ask questions. And Jesus asked questions to probe hearts, and Jesus asked questions to get to the truth of the matter, and maybe we just, we talk too much. Maybe we just go on and just go dump information and dump the truth on somebody, and we've never really kind of tilled the soil and asked good questions. It's just a good book to get you to think those ways. But in this encounter, we have uh, Philip, and we have this eunuch back and forth asking some questions. Last week, I challenged you that maybe you need to have a little book club or, or, or start a Bible study in your neighborhood or, or meet with somebody at a coffee shop. Not just so you can dump information, 
but that you could ask some meaningful questions that get to the heart of what really matters in life. Not just to get us through another day or another week, not just to speak to all the things that are happening in our world today, but to talk about what really matters. Life and death, heaven and hell, blessings and curses are at stake. And we have opportunities to open our mouths and begin to speak. So we, we, we have a, a spiritual calling, we have a, a spiritual encounter, and in that encounter, the eunuch asks Philip the question, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? That's the question that the eunuch asks of Philip. And that brings us to verse 35 of our text. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, look at them there. If not, just hear this verse. It's on the front of your bulletin. This is the response. This is the spiritual message. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he tells them the good news about Jesus. Now, what's the scripture? The scripture is the scripture that we have in front of us that's kind of in our text, verse 32 and verse 33, and it comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 through 8, and I want to read Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 for us, just a little bit more of what we've got there, but just for context that you would know it. This is the scripture that Philip opens up to him. Word of God says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like sheep that are before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off and out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. That's, that's the verse of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 53 that Philip begins with. Now, this is something that's been contested. This question has been con contested for years. The Jewish people, the Jewish nation, when they come to, to portions of Scripture like Psalm 53, well, is he just talking about Isaiah? Is it Isaiah who's going to be the suffering servant? Is he talking about the nation of Israel? Because we've suffered, and surely this text is speaking about the great sufferings of the people of Israel. Or is he speaking about someone else, another prophet, or maybe the Messiah? And here, Philip rightly discerns and, and sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies like this one. 750 years um, uh, before Isaiah wrote these words, um, Jesus was crucified, and, and it described his, his humiliation and his suffering and his, and his exaltation. This is the heart of Jesus' mission. It's his substitutionary work for sinners. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the Lamb of God who bears the sin in his body on the tree. He was silent before the slaughter. He was stricken for the sins of the people, not his own. He starts with this particular text in the Old Testament, and he leads them because this text speaks of Jesus. I'm sure he went on in Isaiah 53 of, of, of saying that everything that we're reading in Isaiah 53, this is all God's doing. People are doing awful things to the suffering servant, but this is all God's doing. The people are guilty for their sins, but God is sovereign and God is working throughout all of this. 
This text talks about, uh, but upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Not only did Jesus suffer, and not only did Jesus die for our sins as a sacrificial lamb, as a substitute for our sins, but even the chastisement, the, the judgment, the punishment that our sin deserved, that also was upon Jesus. For by his chastisement, we were brought peace. We now have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ because he bore the wrath and punishment our sin deserved. Verse 11 of chapter 53 says, to make many to be accounted as righteous. He preaches to him, he proclaims to him the truth of this text from Isaiah 53. Now, my Bible says he began with this scripture. That means he went to other scriptures. And we don't know where he went, but he went to other scriptures. But you can just go throughout the Old Testament and see. Frank led us this morning and reminded us of this. Jesus is all over. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing that Jesus Christ is going to enter the world. We can look at Abraham sacrificing his own son. This is the son of the promise. This is the long-awaited one. He's finally come, and Abraham is commissioned by God to go and sacrifice the, the anointed, the, 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 the gift, his only son Isaac. And he takes him all the way to that place of the knife over, bound down, ready to sacrifice. You know, I put your, your hand on the child. And a sacrificial ram is found in the thicket. And there's a, there's a sacrifice. It's all pointing to what God the Father is going to do by ransoming, by paying the penalty for people through his son, our Savior, Jesus. Maybe it was Moses in, in the Passover. Moses and just the, 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 the call is just take a lamb and take its blood and put it over the lentils of your door. The destroyer is going to come. Judgment's coming to Egypt. And the only way to escape judgment is through the blood of the lamb on your lentils and on your doorposts. It all points to Jesus. He opened the scriptures to him. He didn't have a New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. It's happening. So he took him to the Old Testament and he shared with him the good news of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to open our mouths we need to speak the good news of Jesus. He opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he spent good news. We don't just have a whole lot of bad news. I'm not putting a burden on anybody. I am laboring. They may not realize it for their highest good because faith in Jesus is exceedingly good news. But at some point, we need to speak it. It's facts. If you're here this morning and you're, you're not maybe a follower of Jesus... We're talking about historical facts. Jesus is a historical figure. We divide human history by this man coming into the world. We can't deny that Jesus lived and that he lived an extraordinary life. He did things no one has ever done. He said things no one else has ever said. He, he lived, we believe, because he was not only fully man, he was fully God. He was the God-man. He lived a perfect life that no one lives. No human being, Adam and Eve, no human being will ever live a perfect life. We believe, scriptures testify, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life of obedience and love to his Father. The life, the, the life that we're all demanded. God demands for us for perfection, and none of us have it. But Jesus came and provided that perfection for us, and he says, just believe in me, and that perfect life will be credited to you through faith in me. He didn't come to live only. He came to die and his mission was to die on a cross. His mission was to be a death that would be sacrificial, a death that would be a substitute for our sin. 
he committed no sin, but, but he went and died for our sins. So bearing our sin on the cross, Jesus comes and makes the perfect sacrifice. He comes and he's the perfect substitute. He comes and he pays a price that none of us can pay. But through the precious blood of the Son of God and the Savior of the world, that price was sufficient, yes, more than sufficient to pay for our sins. He didn't stay dead. On Easter Sunday, he rose again on the third day. He's resurrected, bodily resurrected. He appeared to other people. He's ascended to the Father. He's coming back. And because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, everything he did is yes and amen. The Father received the sacrifice. He was the perfect substitute. The ransom has been paid. It is set up that just through faith in Jesus, my sin can be forgiven. I can be right before God, and I could live forever. That was all secured through a person. And these are all facts that we have the wonderful privilege of sharing with other people. And I want to say to you this morning, people are not saved by my testimony. People are not saved because I'm a nice man. People are not saved because I live a nice life. Nobody. The word of God says that there is power in what I just said. That, that we are not to be ashamed of the gospel for it is power unto salvation for all who believe. And in some ways, through questions, in some ways, through building relationships, and in some ways, through conversations, we need to articulate the historical facts of Jesus Christ and who he was and what he's done. For it's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is such good news for me because I am a stammer. I get up here, but I just kind of stammer and I fumble all the time, and maybe you. Paul says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. It's not about you having it all together. It's not about you just being able to say it just right. That's not the point. Paul preached Christ crucified to Gentiles and to Jews. The entire audience is, is just, this is the dumbest, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. To the Jewish person, you're telling me that as a Jew, I should follow some Jewish guy that got killed on a cross? That's the most abhorrent thing that my mind can even conceive of. And you're telling me he's the savior of the world? Yes, I am. It's a stumbling block to Jews. To the Greek, it's just like, you want me to change the way I live and think by surrendering to a Jewish guy who died on a tree. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, exactly. And the word of God says people were transformed because the gospel's powerful. And it's not going to rest on Paul and how good a preacher and how eloquent he is. He comes and he proclaims the gospel because it's powerful. It's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. And it's our only hope of salvation. It's a spiritual message. We need to share with people the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Let me land the plane. All right, last point, spiritual response. A spiritual calling, a spiritual encounter. 
a spiritual message. And I want to say a spiritual response. The big response that we see here. Give me a second to get to it. All right. There, he's kind of sharing. And the next thing you know, boom, hey, there's water. What, what, would, what would be keeping me from getting baptized? And the Word of God says they just stopped the chariot, got out of the chariot, went down and get baptized. Let me go somewhere before that. Now, what we have and, and what I would kind of say, there's, there's only really one right response to the gospel. There's only one right spiritual response from the gospel. It's not Jeff's doing. I think this is what the Bible teaches. All right? We repent, we believe, and we are baptized. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. All right? Repentance, faith, and baptism. That's what it teaches. Uh, he heard, Philip heard Peter preaching. And Peter in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? What are we going to do, Peter? All right, you're done. Stop the preaching. We get it. What do we need to do? Repent. So let's just start there. We're called to repentance. We're called to, as God would spiritually work in us and soften our hearts and actually give us a new heart to understand what is being said to us, we now for the first time begin to realize, wait a minute, I've offended a holy God. Wait a minute, I've been living for myself all of my life and now I have offended this God. We feel a sense of remorse. We feel a sense of sorrow. That's good. And we repent, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I, 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 I have lived in so many ways. I've done so many things to offend your holy name. And we, we confess, we repent, we feel a godly remorse. They talks about godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation. We read from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, I believe, 2 Corinthians 7, one of those. But there's a godly sorrow that works up a repentance. We're turning from sin and we're turning to God. Lord Jesus, I recognize you died for my sins. I recognize you came and you sacrificially loved me and did what I needed most and you lived a life that I don't live. You died the death that I deserve and you promised me eternal life. Miracle of miracles. We believe. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe that you're Lord over all. I believe you're coming again. We confess, we repent of our sin and we believe on Jesus. And I believe that's what happened here. Philip knows He's a good evangelist. He knows this man is different. He knows he's changed. There's fruits. There's evidence. He might have spoken in tongues because that's what the Holy Spirit was doing in that time. And it might be clearly evident. Yep, there's water. Let's do it. Let's get baptized. And, and we baptize. Now listen, why are you saying all this? This isn't my job. I'm a believer just like you. I'm a sheep just like you. This is what I do. But as a, as a pastor, as an elder in this church... Our job is to equip you for works of ministry. And this is the work of ministry. You are to go out and you're to pray and you're to pursue people, lovingly pursue people and tell them, proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. And you're to call them to repent lovingly. Repent. Well, what should I do? Well, we confess our sins. We tell God of, of the things that we've done and haven't done and neglected to do. And, and we believe on Jesus. I help take them by the hand. Repent of your sin. Believe on Jesus. And, and be baptized. We don't just wait. We, elders, we do. We discern those things on your behalf. But essentially, parents baptized their daughter here last week. You're out sharing your faith. Why would we do it? You're the one that kind of let them. You come up and baptize them. 
Because that's the work of ministry that you're all called to do. Call people to repentance. Call people to faith. Call people to baptism. It's the most loving thing you can do. It might not feel like it. It might feel like when you're talking, it's saying, this is really weird. It is. But this is how God builds his church, and it's always the greatest thing that's going on. People repent. So baptism. You know, Rachel stands up here last week, and it's just not... You know, I had, I had Christian parents and I was raised in a Christian home. No, I recognized I wasn't all right with God. I recognized the sin in my heart. I saw the effects that it had. And God brought me to a time where I repented of that. I, I, turned, I felt the, 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 the awfulness of that. And I turned and God and Jesus was there. And he's merciful and he's kind and he died for all that. And I accept that and I believe that. I acknowledge, I profess that to you today. She, she, was, she was sinful, and she goes down in the water, and it represents this cleansing, this washing. We come up renewed. We still sin. We still got the remnants around us, but we're, we're new in Christ. We're new creatures. We're, 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 we're identified with him, our union with Christ. We've died to sin. We've been raised to righteousness, new life. I was a new creation. The moment I believed 34 years ago in the Pittman Methodist Church, I was a new creature. I was a brand new person, and baptism testifies to this washing and cleansing. We, we repent, we believe, and we're baptized. That, that's, the, that's the spiritual response to this. Now, let me just say something in closing. I, I got a few things. I'm not going to get to them. Um, he, uh, Philip is whisked off by the Holy Spirit. I don't know all about that. Talk to me in the back. You might have something better than I've got on all that. Um, we know that Philip... Late in the book of Acts, Acts 21, I believe, uh, uh, Paul and, and, and Luke are on their way, and they said they stopped in Caesarea, the last place that we hear. We stop, they stop in Caesarea. The word of God says, two verses, seven and eight, I, think, I believe Acts 21 says, that they came to the house of Philip the evangelist. And I want to say to you that Philip was probably a staggeringly ordinary guy. And he was called to, 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 be, to wait on tables and to be a deacon, and he did that faithfully. And he was called to go to Samaria, and it was way out of his league, and he, he did that faithfully. And he was sent down to this place to go alongside Ethiopia, and he was faithful. God takes very ordinary people, and he does these extraordinary things. The, 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 the tradition is that not Philip, but the Ethiopian went to Ethiopia and shared the good news there and became a missionary to Ethiopia. Now, why do I say that, and why does that matter? The, the, to, to the Roman and to the Greek mind, Ethiopia is called the ends of the earth. One simple man, one man who wasn't looking to do anything great for God. He shared the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea. He shared the gospel all over Samaria. He shared the gospel with an Ethiopian that went to the ends of the earth. One very, very ordinary man. And the gospel goes from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. I, uh, we don't know, and I just, I'll close with a personal illustration. I'll close with a personal illustration that 80% of, of you know this illustration. I've shared this illustration, and Larry has shared this illustration, uh, but I just did. I, I need an end of personal. So let me share a personal story, and there's nothing to me in this. But about 20 years ago, Carol and I are praying. You were praying. I can't even take the credit. My wife was praying that when we went on vacation to Ocean City, that something spiritual would happen because we just have a lot of weeks in Ocean City where not a lot of spiritual happens. And my wife was at least sensitive to the Lord, and we were talking about it on the way down with young children about that maybe the Lord would do something in our family that would begin to, to move towards something spiritual. 
And I did. I was asleep on the couch on a Tuesday afternoon. My wife is sitting next to me, and Joe Crispin is sitting across the, the way. And I wake up out of my sleeping stupor to hear my wife and Joe getting into it spiritually. They're going back and forth and talking about spiritual things. Well, I perked right up, and I'm like, all right, we got us a conversation. So for the next hour and a half, we missed dinner that night, and we just sat and talked about spiritual things. We talked about Jesus, and we talked about faith. And we went to bed that night, and I just remember, like, man, Lord, you just answered that prayer. I had no idea. I went to lunch with Joe the next week. We got in a car. I know we were going to Cracker Battle. I texted him last night, and I said I was going to share this. We were in a, in a car to Cracker Battle, and my, my sharing with Joe was so awkward. I'm very usually pretty good with Joe. But it was awkward because I knew I was pressing in on him on some spiritual stuff. I was like, yeah, Carol and I were talking to you about that, and has that really kind of happened in you? Because we're not seeing the real change that we think that God brings. So I'm getting in this awkward conversation. My nephew didn't say a word. He sat there pretty silent, and all he did was smile and do it. let like, you kind of do it with his head. And by the time I stammered through my awful gospel presentation, my nephew says he's done it. He's changed me. I knew it. I was going to come tell you when you invited me to breakfast. He's changed me. I'm a different person. I know he's done amazing work in my heart. And we sat at Cracker Barrel, and I told him what a joy it's been. My few years of ministry, my few ministry, years of ministry, what a joy it's been. Now listen, when Carol prayed that prayer, and when I took this kid out to breakfast, I had no idea. I had no idea what impact it would have. What impact is this really going to have? I went back to a campus at Penn State his junior year. And there were 30, 40 people in a room just studying the Bible and just going the Bible. And Joe just had a real passion for sharing with people. And we know that he shared eventually with the equipment manager at Penn State University. who's was the man that usually stands in this pulpit. When Carol prays a prayer, she has no idea. When I'm driving to Cracker Barrel, I got no idea that God might save a Joe Crispin who might lead a Larry Lazarus to some. Brothers who have been faithful with the word of God and have exhorted other people. We just were just thinking, man, it would be great if something happened to Joe. That was our prayer. And he did exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, imagine, or dream. At some point, brothers and sisters, a stammering tongue. I fumble it all the time. I had a perfect opportunity and I didn't say what all the time. Own it. Pray. Pursue people. Ask questions. Open your mouth and proclaim the good news of salvation, Jesus. There is nothing. There's not one thing going on the planet that's more important than that, and you've been called to it because he loves you. You've been called to it, and you've been given everything you need. He's been working way before you got there. He'll be working way after you're gone. Go. Go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all creation. It's a life of joy. It's a life of blessing. It's not easy, but I believe it's the life he calls each and every one of us to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for how you meet with us and come with power. Uh, Lord, would you work this good word in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I'm also mindful this morning that when the word is sown, oftentimes it falls on hard ground. And immediately it is gobbled up. We don't even get to the steps downstairs and that word is gone. I pray it wouldn't be so. We also read about where we can just go back to the concerns of life and we can just get so busy and we can just kind of get all this and, and, and weeds just kind of choke it out. I pray that wouldn't be so. Sometimes it just falls in a real shallow soil, springs up, looks good. But the minute the sun comes up, it just scorches it and it dies and it doesn't bear any fruit. Lord, I pray it wouldn't be so.
I pray you'd use your word this morning. I pray you would make it happen. Make our hearts fertile soil for the truth of your word. Do it not for our sake. Don't do it for Joy Community Fellowship's sake. You do it for your sake. Build your church. Glorify your name as your people go and proclaim the good news to all the creation. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.